When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you going to be able to coach the players to where they can excel? It was really obvious. Matt LaFleur basically looked across the field to McCarthy and said, I'm taking the ball because I know you're a front-running team. And if I play from in front, you'll never catch me. Hey, everybody. What's going on? What's happening? Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast. Welcome to... Episode number 297, where my guest this week is a longtime veteran of the NFL front office life. He is a former general manager. He is a three-time Super Bowl winning executive. He has held senior positions with the Patriots, 49ers, Raiders. In other words, there are not too many dudes who know ball like my dude, Michael Lombardi, knows ball. Mike spent over three decades working on the inside. Now he is dominating on the content side, the media side. He is the co-founder of the Daily Coach Newsletter. He is co-host of the GM Shuffle podcast. He is co-host of the Lombardi line on VSIN, And he is about to join me right here on the original side hustle. It is episode 297 with three-time Super Bowl winning exec Michael Lombardi. And it's coming at you right now. So, Michael, the great thing about this is because we can stretch out in this pod. Well, first things first, my man. How you doing, Michael? How are things? I'm great. Thank you. Everything's good. Thank you. How are you, huh? Good. Everything's great. Everything is awesome. I will be in Vegas soon enough with everybody else for the Super Bowl, but I want to run you down before then. I was going to say the great thing about this pod, we don't need to dive right into all this topical stuff. In fact, I want to start you off with something a little bit different. Michael, take us back. Okay. What, what was it about the sport? that drew you in when you were a kid growing up in New Jersey? I think the, the number one thing was team building. It was the, was the combination of the draft, building, you know, reading about Vince Lombardi, and I wrote about it in my book, Football Done Right, taking over a Packer team that had all these unknown but Hall of Fame eventual players on it. And the, the construction of a team, the drafting, the trading – that was fascinating me. I played Stratomatic Baseball, which is a board game with three of my two of my closest Babe Ruth baseball friends. We played Stratomatic in my mother's kitchen in the summertime from from eight in the morning until two in the morning. The only time we would go to the beach is if we thought Linda Bosby show was in her bikini. And that was it. And, and I fell in love with the whole art of drafting the team, building the team. And managing a team. And so that's really what it started. It started from a baseball game and morphed into football. That's amazing. You know, Michael, I'm old enough. I remember Stratomatic. I had that game. I love that game. And it's interesting, too, that you uh, came up with the Packers and Vince Lombardi because the first sports book, and I've told the guy this, who wrote the book, Jerry Kramer. That was the first sports book I ever read, the Green Bay Packer Diary, instant replay by Jerry Kramer, and he and I became friends over the years. So I can totally identify with what you're saying. Now, you talk about team building and drafting and the like, but you did play college ball at Hofstra in New York. Do a little self-scouting for me. What kind of a player were you back in the day? Uh, not, not very athletic, really good long snapper. I made, I was a long snapper center 
I played defense, but really wasn't athletic enough to play defense. I should have played center for the four years of my career. Uh, short arm center, had pretty good lower body strength, uh, had really good balance, but wasn't overly athletic and not enough speed to play defense. Um, but I was a really good long snapper, short and long snapper. Got it. All right. So your first job in the business was recruiting coordinator at UNLV. How were you able to parlay that gig into working as a scout for the 49ers in 1984? So Tony Rosano comes through UNLV scouting a bunch of their players and happens to, I set them up with a projector, put tape on, take them through all the players, tell them who's available. And he's like, you know, Coach Walsh is looking for an assistant, someone just like you. Would you be interested? And I would be like, oh, yeah, I'd definitely be interested. And that's how it started. They brought me in for an interview, and uh, and everything went worked from there. Michael, what do you remember about the interview? What was it like to sit with the legend, and what did he ask you? It, it, I was interviewing with John McVeigh. I didn't get okay. the legend. I got Coach McVeigh, and, and I sat in this office, and he had this huge desk with this board of all the NFL players on it by the team, and I just was mesmerized looking at it and seeing it was in early May, and this is in 1984, so there wasn't any players around. And so just the whole seeing that helmet, walking into that building, and just feeling like, oh, my God, this is the big time. And then when I look back on it, it really wasn't. I mean, we were in this little dumpy 7-Eleven Nevada Street building that barely could house uh, half of a half of a, a youth football team today. It was just surreal. I look back at that time. You know, Jim, it's funny. I just got my my first Super Bowl ring resized and and because it's 40 years since that game. And I look back on that and I realize how lucky and how blessed I was to be a part of something so special in such a small place. Steve Pressfield, the wonderful writer who's written a lot of books about creativity. He's also written books about Rommel and, and, and the art of war is essentially his book. The War of Art is his favorite book, his book he wrote. He talks about he has a book called Put Your Ass in the Sea. And that's what I did. I left this little beach town and I put my ass in a seat in, at, in Las Vegas. And then I put it at, at San Francisco, making no money, but my ass was in the seat and I learned a lot. Michael, it's such a great line. I love that. I love that notion. And I know of the author. I've not read that book, but can you just kind of expand upon that? Like what take, because you do so many things above and beyond the game itself. What about that? What does that mean to you? Put your ass in the seat. So, I mean, it applies to any profession, right? So why did Echo Park, where you grow up, where you live in Los Angeles, why did that have all these great entertainment? Why was the troubadour the center of the universe? Because everybody was coming to Los Angeles to write songs, and they all got together. And Dave, whether it was David Crosby and Stephen Stills and Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown's on the bottom floor and, and Don Henley's on the up floor with Glenn Fry. When you're around people that share the same passion or trying to get to the same place you are, your energy level's at an all-time high. And you become better. You can't Zoom that. You can't feel that. You got to get your ass in the seat. You got to do it. If you want to be a writer, look, why did Steve, why was the Bill Gates able to become Bill Gates? Because he got his ass in front of a computer in Seattle at the University of Washington. You know, why was Picasso able to paint? Why was Hemingway, when you go back to Hemingway in Paris, I mean, 
how many great writers were around him at that time. And that's is what generates the creative process. That's what generates the energy. And if you want to be in football, go be in football. You can't worry about how much you're going to get paid. You know, I think all of us who started where we started, Michael, understood that, right? And and you love it. You love it. My, some of my favorite times of my entire career in life were those formative years when I was in Santa Barbara, not knowing what was going to happen, but just getting up every day, feet hitting the ground, going to battle, trying to get to a major market, trying to get out of that small market, trying to find a way to get somebody to listen to me. I know exactly what you're talking about. You, I don't want to say you would do it for free because we have to eat, but we would have done whatever we had to do to get it done. You know, the point you make, though, about put your ass in the seat, if technology is what it is, and everybody's in front of their screens all the time right now, and we have less and less of that interaction of putting your ass in the seat, technology can be such a good thing, but could it hurt us from that standpoint? No question. And what happens to us all is we lose the art of strategy and we become nothing but tacticians, right? We just look at a board. We look at and everything becomes a computer game in your basement. We have no interaction. We don't understand how to relate to people. How to, and then when we have to lead, we don't even have a remote idea on how to lead people. So you've got to be in connection with people. You got to observe. You got to be able, as Yogi Berra says, you got to you can see a lot from looking. You got to see what how coaches coach. I think it's one of the big things we miss in the NFL today. I was talking to this to a, a former NFL head coach, and we miss the element of strategy combined with a tactician, right? Most coaches today are are tacticians. They call plays. They 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 run. They run the game. They call the play. That's tactical. The strategy to the game is missing. See, there was a time when you were growing up and I was growing up, and I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man sitting on a park bench, but we had head coaches, we do in basketball, that were strategizing on how to play the game. And then they taught the tacticians how to run the game. We don't see that all the time. And I think last week, Mike McCarthy was playing the game as a tactician instead of a strategist because he underestimated how good Green Bay was. Craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business. They take their smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried, tough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors, old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you do not see it, clones, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Michael, so what do you do if you're Jerry Jones? What should he do? You know, all of a sudden now, yeah, they win 12 games. They win the division. Jerry seems like the only guy who was shocked by the outcome of that game. But if you were Jerry Jones, what would you do? And then what do you think he will do with Mike McCarthy? Look, I, I think people are misreading this completely. Everybody thinks Jerry was going to make a change because he's 83 years old. Okay. Look, I'm, I'm old. And, and so I know change is hard. Older people don't want to change. 
You think he really wants to go through a whole new coaching search, go through a whole new coaching staff? I don't think so. I think what he'd rather do is manage what he has. I think what he'd rather do is handle what he has. I think he'd rather make changes internally, but not wholesale changes. Now, I could be wrong, but when you're his age, change is hard. You tend to eat the same thing every day. You tend to have the same habits every day. You know what you want. You're older, and you do what you want to do. And I think that's kind of where I see this thing. I think they're going to wait and see what happens with Dan Quinn. If he gets a head coaching job, they'll say, great, go ahead, Dan, take it. And then they'll find another defensive coordinator because what's got lost in this whole thing of fire McCarthy campaign has been that the defense played like crap and it hasn't played well all the time. I think it's an extremely fair point, Mike. So if you keep McCarthy and never mind, I, wait, first of all, aren't we supposed to be comfortable being uncomfortable? I understand what you're saying. This is not a young guy. He probably doesn't want change. But what's going to hurt more, not getting that ring that he's allegedly so desperate for or making this change? What's going to be more painful to him? I think making the change. Hmm. Because I think he could sit there after a couple of days and say, you know what? I could have, we could have, I mean, we're close. We're right there. We could have won this thing, right? And, and if I just modify it a little bit, add a few players, I mean, let's be clear here, Jim. I mean, Dak Prescott had one of his best seasons ever. You know, you do, you do this every day. Every, all season, people were screaming that there was no way that he was going to be able to, uh, to, to take over for the great Kellen Moore. Like that was going to be a, that was going to be a real hardship. He didn't know he take over more. They made the team better. So I think Jerry could sit there honestly and say, look, with a couple fine tuning elements, we could be 12 and five again, but a better 12 and five. It's really interesting. All right, so, Michael, when you look at your career, it's fascinating. You had your stop at the 49ers. You move on to Cleveland in 1987. You become the Browns' director of player personnel while Bill Belichick was the head coach. His staff famously included Nick Saban, among others, who go on to have impactful careers. I mean, like, just crazy, crazy stuff. What about Nick? Were you at all surprised that he decided to retire when he did, given how football has consumed his life the way it has? You know, I, I'm not. I am not. I'm surprised it happened that quickly. I, I'm surprised it didn't happen with a plan, a succession plan in place. I'm surprised he didn't mentor somebody that he was going to hand the reins to. Uh, that surprised me. But Nick's always had, you know, we said this back in Cleveland in 91. Nick always had, he and Bill were a lot alike, but there was a difference between the two. Nick would read the, the business page of the newspaper before he would do anything. Nick was always a businessman. He loved that element of it. And so with these car dealerships he has now and the hotel he has in Tuscaloosa and this kind of economic empire that he's built, I think he can still find the competitive spirit that he needs to kind of give himself energy, as he said, to wake up every day. But, you know, he doesn't have to go through this NIL stuff and this recruiting and all the things that take him away from what he loves the most, which is football, which is football. And college football is for the head coach is the hardest thing ever because football is not part of your job. You got NIL, you got you got transfer portal, you got this. It becomes very complex. So I could see him do. I could see him doing television and feeling the energy of watching two teams play and breaking it down and teaching America the game, 
and then going back to his dealerships and making money. Yeah. So what about Bill Belichick? You would go on to work for him again in New England from 2014 to 2016. Obviously, Michael, he's a free agent right now. He's already interviewed with the Falcons. How do you think Bill is going to approach his next opportunity? I think it's going to be the same way he would approach his the last one. Uh, if you read the book, The Education of a Coach, Halberstam has a passage in the book where he says, Belichick learned, and I'm paraphrasing, Belichick learned from his first, from after his first head coaching experience that the next one he took, there was going to be alignment between him and the owner. And there was not going to be anybody in between that. And that allowed him to develop the Patriot way, which really was the Browns way. The problem with the Browns way was we had an owner who didn't understand culture, who didn't understand that the program was bigger than talking. He wanted to be the spokesman. I mean, let's face it. Art Modell is a wonderful human being, and he was tremendous to me and my family. But he's also going to go down in history as the only man to fire three of the winningest coaches of all time in the NFL. Paul Brown, Marty Schottenheimer, and Bill Belichick. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. So that said, it seems to defy logic or reason that he could coexist with Jerry Jones. I heard what you said about Jerry Jones and that Jerry probably doesn't want to make a move anyway. But just hypothetically, if we could play that game, could the two of them coexist? I mean, there's not – I mean, is there that straight line? Like, what would Bill do if – because Bill is so private. What would Bill do when Jerry's showing up with the radio show, Jerry's showing up with his postgame pressers? Wouldn't that drive Bill crazy? Or maybe, maybe would he like that on some level? I think if they were if if they were supplying the things you needed to win and he could control the team and run the team, you know what Jim, what's happened to a lot of these teams now, we see it in the NBA, but it's morphing into football, is the 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 the, the conditioning, the science, sports science have taken over the team. Why do you think the Eagles were so out of shape? Why do you think they, they weren't practicing? We became a, a we're becoming a league of rest and load management as opposed to fundamentals and techniques football is always going to be fundamentals and techniques you're going to have to rest your players but if you're not practicing and working hard in practice you're going to look like the eagles did you're not as bad as tackling at the as the eagles are if you're practicing tackling you're not as out of shape as the eagles were defensively if you're not if you're not conditioning and so to me we have confused rest and, and load management with taking days off and not working. If you go to Australia and you have an injury in their AFL league, they, they don't give you a day off. They put you in a room. They call it the altitude room. They'll put you in a room and make you ride a bike, a stationary bike at 12,000 feet. That'll, that'll get you in shape. You don't have to go fast to do that either. Like you got to stay in shape. And I think that's what's happened to some of these teams. That's why we see them dwindle. That would be a concern in Dallas for, I think, running the program that Bill has to run to be successful. Are you going to be able to coach the players to where they can excel? Like Matt LaFleur, it was really obvious. Matt LaFleur basically looked across the field to McCarthy and said, 
I'm taking the ball because I know you're a front-running team. And if I play from in front, you'll never catch me. And he did just that. And he was right. And he was right. And they went right yeah. down the field on him. Go back to your point about Philadelphia, Michael. Is that what that was? I mean, their defense. Philadelphia's defense, it was unbelievable to see them get shredded the way that they were. Is that what we're talking about here? Obviously, making a coordinator change. I mean, it just smacked a panic when they did it. And Matt Patricia seemingly made it worse, not better. But, I mean, is that what that was, a lacking conditioning or something else? Yeah, uh, I, I, think it was some, I think it was a combination of all the above. They're not very talented on defense. Remember, last year they had seven. They, they had 70 sacks. 60 came from their defensive front. They're not, their front wasn't the same. They weren't as well conditioned. They couldn't rush the passer. Their secondary was always a problem. Their linebackers were old and slow this year. They were poor. Right. You know, and so that was the issue. And I think once that happened, then all of a sudden, you know, they fell apart and their fundamentals, their techniques, their defensive linemen, they, they weren't the same team. And we saw it as the season went on. Remember, this season's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So if you go back to Bill for a minute, Michael, to just to finish that thought, if we're talking about fit and we're talking about ownership and we're talking about him needing to do what he needs to do, is Atlanta the best fit for him? Would that interest him? I think a lot of it would have to come from that meeting that they had this week with Arthur Blank and see where, you know, how that went and what his vision is and how many people are involved in the organization and how many people are going to take part in what he wants to do. I, I think there's certainly there's certainly an element that that's really important to him. And I think if that if that could get solved, I could see that happening. All right, so if you were to go back to what you and I were talking about with the Niners, when you first got there, 1984, the Niners go 15-1 and in the regular season. They win their second Super Bowl. Nearly impossible, Michael, to compare teams across eras. But, you know, you've written this book, and you historically you have a really good sense of these things. Where would you slot that Niner team, the 84 squad, among the most complete teams that any of us have ever seen? You know, I think that's a really great question. And my initial reaction is, oh, well, we were good, but were we really great? Yeah, no, we were really great. We had rush. We had the perfect complementary team. We had an offense that could score points at a rapid rate. Remember, we on the 84 team, we did not have Jerry Rice. Okay? So we didn't get Jerry Rice till the 85 team. So we had the team that could score points. We had running back Wendell Tyler, Roger Craig. We could run the football. We had the great Russ Francis, God rest his soul, at tight end, you know, almost a Hall of Famer, Dwight Clark, Freddie Solomon at receiver. And then defensively, man, we could rush. We had the great Fred Dean. And when you have Fred Dean and you have Ronnie Lott, you, that's, you don't need a very more. Keena Turner, Eric Wright was in the secondary. It's a, it was the perfect complementary team. Everybody knew their role. Everybody accepted their role. And remember, if you go back to that Super Bowl in Stanford Stadium, Don Shula tried to go no huddle. Okay, Don Shula tried to go no huddle just to keep our nickel unit off the field. He didn't want us to substitute. He wanted us to play strategically that way. And he wanted us to kind of keep our base unit on the field, Lawrence Pillars and all our heavy run players. And once we solved that riddle, all of a sudden the game took off. 
that roster is just man, it's astonishing. It's astounding, right? Like it's it. There's playing complimentary football, and then there's having that complete a roster. You know, looking back on your career, Mike, what's so amazing? Like we could talk about any of these eras. We could talk Bill Walsh. We could talk Belichick. We could talk Saban. Of course, I could ask you about Al Davis. We could talk for hours about Al Davis. How did Al recruit you to Oakland, and what was your relationship like with him personally and professionally? Well. The, the way I got to Oakland was really simple. He and Bill were having a uh, having a contest about the draft. This is 86 draft. They were having a contest about the draft. And Bill was telling him that he found the, the next great white running back. And Al was telling him that he found one. And then Bill started to tell him he found the next great pass rusher. And Al didn't have a pass rusher to one-up him. So when we put when we ticked Tom Rathman in the third round, Bill called Al and Al said, "Well, that's not my guy." He picked Vance Mueller six picks later. When we picked Charles Haley in the fourth round, Al caught Bill called Al on the phone and said, "There's my pass rusher." And Al didn't know who he was. And then when he had double digit sacks as a rookie, Al wanted to know well, who was the person who found him. He wanted to know where they get him from, and that's how I became the name that he knew. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, is bringing you an offer that will help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet 5 bucks on any game and get 200 instantly. How do you like that? All you have to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use my code ROME, R-O-M-E. New customers can bet just 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, you do have to use my code ROME, R-O-M-E. The crown is yours, and you do have to be present in a state where it's lawful to wager. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. <laughs> Incredible. Michael, Charles Haley, he, Charles Haley is something else. For, for whatever reason, he and I always did well, and he was always happy to come on the program and be accessible, and he was not always a huge fan of the media. What an amazing, I mean, what a different dude, first of all. But can you break how, how down? How wasn't he a first-time Hawk? How wasn't he a first ballot Hall of Fame? Tell me. Tell me. I was going to say to you, what an amazing, amazing player. How wasn't he a first ballot Hall of Famer? He wasn't, Jim, because he didn't get along with the media. The voters didn't like him. So they ignored his numbers because he wasn't nice to them. You know, it's a political thing. He didn't send flowers on Valentine's Day to him. He was kind of hard to deal with. You know, I kind of thought it was going to affect Sapp originally, too. But Sapp was able to overcome it. Look, you can't deny Warren Sapp was one of the greatest players, three techniques in the league, you know, so he became a first ballot. But but Haley should have been one easily. But, you know, well, we got other guys. No, nobody changed the game like Haley. Hell, I can remember when I became the personnel director in Cleveland and Haley because he had, had gotten into a, a dissertation with George Seifert. And I, we turned the trade down in San Francisco, in, in Cleveland. Al 
I was I wasn't even working for him, and he mf'd me on that trade because he said, you know, you're an idiot. He can change the game. He was right. He was right. You know, a guy like that can tilt the field, as Al Davis would say. Yeah, maybe five rings was not enough to get in right away. Michael, how how would he or could he change the game? What made Haley so different than everybody else? Because he could see most of these pass rushers, they can't rush with the power that he rushed with. So think of a pass rusher like a baseball pitcher, okay? So if you're a pass rusher and you have a fastball, which is speed around the corner, okay? Well, you have to have a – you can't – even Nolan Ryan needed a second pitch. So what's your second pitch? Okay, we're going to move inside, all right? Okay, so now i got to block you both ways. But if you have power down the middle where i got to brace myself to handle you, then all of a sudden – you're a dynamic player, and that's what Haley could do. He could take a 300-pound man and walk him back to the quarterback. And then when he's worried about your power, he's worried about your power. All the other moves come off that. And so that's why he was so good. You know, these guys today, they run past the quarterback because all they really have are speed. Now, not all of them. I mean, Bosa can power too now. So when you combine speed and power, then all of a sudden you're a disruptive player. I love your analogies. I love your analogies, especially when they're outside of football and even Nolan Ryan needed that other pitch. He had that great hook. He had that great curveball. Have you ever spent any time with Nolan Ryan? Like I, I asked because I did one of my appearances back in the day at Red Rock, and I got to sit with him. And, Michael, of all the years I've done this, you know how this is, right? There's only a few guys that you just, you're just awed by. The odd buy. And I remember sitting and having a beer with Nolan Ryan. I just thought that was the coolest shit ever. I thought that was one of the greatest things ever. Have you ever spent any time with him? No, I, but I watched the documentary on television of him. And I just became in awe of him. I mean, there's certain baseball players that I just am in awe of. And probably because of Stratomatic Baseball. But Ryan, how about the great Bob Gibson? You ever look at his stats someday and compare what he was able to accomplish in his career? Now, I know the mound was a little higher. But when you think about it, when you see what he's been able to accomplish, you know, I mean, there's some players that you just have to take a moment and look back and say, okay, I got to, I got to learn more about this player. Hey, you think, you think, how about, how about, I don't care how high or how low the mound was. How about pitching off of the mound with a broken leg? I mean, how tough would you yeah. have to be? And I, I've told the story, Michael, he came on my TV show, the first TV show I ever did. And it was in L.A., and we all had makeup. There was a makeup artist, and it was kind of funny because some of the guests, would, like even back in the 90s, Michael, they some of the guys would get makeup and then leave with it and go to the clubs. I remember the makeup artist who had no idea who Bob Gibson was tried to put makeup on him and said, no, ma'am, I'm good. And she's like, no, no, it's fine, just a little bit of makeup. And she said, no, thank you, ma'am. And she just didn't get it. I'm like, Beverly, please do not put makeup on Mr. Gibson. He does not want it. Like, she had no idea who Bob Gibson was. Could you imagine Bob Gibson getting makeup for a TV? I mean, I couldn't even believe he was even there. Man, my man was intimidating. I mean, I, what a presence. What a presence. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I could watch him. It's just amazing. I mean, what I don't think people truly – I think that's part of our problem with sports is we don't appreciate some of these guys from the past enough. Baseball does. Football, we don't. You know, we see them kind of – uh, they're kind of beaten up. They're they're struggling to walk around. They don't realize how great they some of these guys were. 
Is that what it is? Why, why don't we treat some of the legends and warriors of the game better? Because because they're beaten up and we just we're uncomfortable. Yeah. We don't want to see it. Like, what is it? Yeah, it's what I call the Jane Russell, Marilyn Monroe phenomenon, right? Marilyn Monroe died, and we remember her only the way she looked when she died. Jane Russell aged, and we remember her when she was older. We forget how good-looking she was when she was young, you know? So we don't forget Marilyn because that's the only picture we see. That's the only one we see. Whereas Jane Russell, we see her aging, and nobody can remember her when she's young. But we always remember Marilyn because she's always young. All right, so you, you're right. It's timeless. It's just that one shot. So before you go, yeah. like you grew up on Stratomatic, so I know you love baseball. Obviously, you had this amazing football life, still do. What else? Are there other sports where you were connected to other guys that really interest you, basketball or anything else? I love hoops. And, you know, since I wrote Good Iron Genius, I've had more conversations with basketball coaches, more than football. Basketball coaches are way more curious about strategy and tactics from gridiron genius than football coaches i think most football coaches feel like oh we do that it's that's redundant so i love hoops i mean i'm a diehard 76er fan i belong in rehab because i they they pull me down a trap and they they twist me in the wind and they're just never good enough but i love basketball i learn a lot from basketball jim belichick and i went to a cavaliers game once and we sat behind the bulls bench it's the greatest learning experience of my football career Phil was the coach, Jordan Pippen, P.J. Armstrong, you know, Cartwright. They had that team. And Lenny Wilkins was down the bench on the other side, and they were good. Elo, Larry Nance, Brad Darty, they had them all. And what I noticed was whenever, whenever Lenny substituted, Phil would take his two fingers and whistle and move Jordan from the three to the two or move Pippen from the four to the one. And then you know what happened? Lenny had to substitute again. So Phil was substituting without substituting. Lenny had to substitute to catch up. And at that moment, I realized that's what makes great teams. Why are the 49ers great? Because they can substitute without substituting. They can take McCaffrey and make him a slot receiver. They can take Debo and make him in the backfield. They can take Kittle and extend them out wide. So now what do you want to play? If they're in 11 personnel where they're in 12 and all of a sudden McCaffrey's in the slot and Debo's in the backfield, how do you handle that? How do you make your adjustments and your calls? It's really hard. And that is what I learned from basketball is how to move around the matchups, how to create different matchups within the same team. I think that's fascinating what you just said. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Need a little help? O'Reilly Auto Parts can help. Need advice? We've got advice. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Exceptional customer service. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. And the thing about Phil Jackson, too, I used to always say when people are so quick, Michael, and it was to me, it was always such a kind of a naive, ignorant, lazy take like 
how, how hard could it be? You just roll the ball out. It, those were not easy teams to coach. You think coaching Michael Jordan is easy? You think dealing with Dennis Rodman no. was easy? That, that was not easy at all. Lenny Wilkins, by the way, was an unbelievable coach. Michael, leave me with this thought. Like, basketball, you and George Raveling, obviously you do business together. You're very, very tight. George Raveling, this is so funny. I'd only interviewed Michael Jordan once in my entire career. We were both in Space Jam. I used to, like, I mean, it's, it's a famous line. I said, hey, Mike, thanks for being in my movie. And he goes, huh, your movie, huh? But he played along. But Raveling said to me, Michael, way back in the day, he used to come on the show. He said, I can get you, Jordan. I can get you, Jordan. I said, George would be the best thing ever because I can't get anywhere near this guy. He goes, I can do it. <laughs> he did, man. He worked it for months and months and months and months. You know, because I went to UC Santa Barbara. They always had that camp up in Santa Barbara. Somehow, George got a phone into Mike's hand. He did a five-minute interview. It's a famous thing. My question to you, besides from telling that story, is what about you and George? Like, George George is so fascinating, and I know you love him, and I know you hold him in such high regard. You don't see him front and center doing this type of thing. How did you and George ultimately come together, and what are you guys doing together now for those who don't know? Uh, well, I mean, let me start how we came together. I, was, I, I got fired from the Eagles in 1997 after we drafted, uh, after we drafted Trey Thomas. I traded for Hugh Douglas. We drafted Jeremiah Trotter in the third round, Alan Rossum. We drafted Ike Reese, Brandon Whiting, all guys that went on to have careers. And I got fired in, in June. They brought Tom Modrak in to run the team. And I was out of work. And I was still out of contract. But CBS was just bringing football back at the time. And so when they brought football back, I got the job as behind the air to help Jim Nance, Brent Jones, Marcus Allen, and George Seifert. And so I'm doing that gig, and I run into a guy named John Colmansberger, who's a research analyst at CBS. He's truly the rain man. I mean, he can correct newspapers. This is how smart he is. He's just a remarkable human being. And he said to me when we got to know each other, you need to become friends with George Raveling. You two are the same. Now, what, what J.K. would do for George is he would get on his bicycle and ride down to the Strand bookstore and buy all the out-of-town newspapers and clip them out and send all the clippings to Coach Rad because he'd read them all. And so that's how I got introduced to George Raveling. And eventually when I lived in Los Angeles and I wrote Gridiron, we started having lunch or dinner once, once every two weeks. And now we've started The Daily Coach. We've been doing this for four years because we both were reading – a book called The Trillion Dollar Coach, and we both thought we all need a coach, and we decided to write a newsletter every day that has morphed into a daily coach community. So if somebody wants to be a part of that community, how do they do so? They, If they want to be a part of the community, they got to send us an email, and we interview. Right now, we, we've, uh, we've only allowed 50 people into the community. We're sold out, and we're going to open it up to another 25 here. So send an email to uh, The Daily Coach. You'll see it on our website, and then we'll go through the interview process to start this. We want to build it to where we have 250 people within the community, but they have to be the right people. Like who? Who's eligible? What kind of people are you looking for? We want young executives. We want females. We want people that can help from all walks of life. Because the idea of the community is to offer leadership advice to people in different fields. Because at the end of the day, we're all in the same business. We're trying to lead people. And we can all help one another. There's an organization called the Young Presidents Organization, YPO. They started something similar like this. Now they've gotten huge. 
They're very big. It's a huge business, but we're not anywhere near that. But that's the model we want to use. And we want to be able to start it for leaders, people under. And we're not limiting it to age because we think with wisdom, with age comes wisdom. So we want to use all the people, but we want it from different fields. And we have forums every day. We have uh, our own. There's a private website and where we exchange ideas. I love it. I love it. So leave me with this thought. If you, I mean, to sit and have dinner and chop it up with you and Rav back in the day in Los Angeles, I got to know, where did you guys use to break bread? Where would you guys eat? Only place he would go. Well, he would go to two places. Jay's over in in, in uh, Santa Monica right there, kind of uh, on the border of the, in the marina, actually, not in Santa Monica, in the marina. Jay's in the marina and Hal's over in Playa Vista. Those are it. You're going to find them there. And he's there every day. <laughs> That, that's because it's awesome. near, both places, ironically, are near bookstores. It, or not ironically, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's planned. Michael, listen, I appreciate you so much. I mean, given your workload and your schedule, you always avail yourself to me and these platforms. But I especially appreciate you stretching out today. What an amazing conversation. Appreciate you, the friendship, the relationship. And thanks so much for doing that, Michael. That was amazing. Anytime, Jim. Thank you so much. I'm telling you, some dudes just have it. Some dudes just get it. Mike is one of those dudes. 30 years in and around NFL front offices will do that for you. He is a wealth of knowledge and experience, and he brings a perspective that really, frankly, nobody else has, which is why I always enjoy any time I get to spend with him and any chance I have to pick his brain, and no better time to do that than right in the middle of the NFL playoffs and coaching carousel. So my enormous thanks to Michael Lombardi for stretching out and taking the time and being a part of episode 297. If you want more of what you just heard, the good news is I've got a ton more. In fact, I've already pumped out 296 episodes of the original Side Hustle. Every last one of them holds up. So please, if you're looking for more, that's where you should look. And if you take a second and you hit subscribe, you will always know when a new episode's available, like episode 298, which is going to drop next week. So do me a favor, track down that subscribe button, smash that subscribe button, and I will see you next week.